0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. If anything became obvious in this series against Chicago is the need for David Robertson to just be captured away from Chicago and taken back to New York. Robertson did a freaking hell of a job the two innings in the doubleheader, and then on Sunday to come back on no rest after throwing 25 pitches and get the huge double play and shut the Mets down, David Robertson has had a hell of an audition to become a member of the New York Mets. It's like Luis Castillo did to the Yankees a few days ago. David Robertson has shown us his balls, come back to New York, we'll take it. They obviously need to add another reliever. No one here trusts Drew Smith. Not that Drew had the worst performance in the world in giving up those two runs, a couple of ground balls. Really, the the killer was the Nico Horner base hit because the comebacker was cheap. The 2 leadoff hits against him were, you know, one was an infield hit. It's not like he was smoked. The problem was Nico Horner, that slider that just hung up there, and Horner ripped up the middle for what turned out to be the game-winning hit. Seth Lugo sucks. Adam Adovino's great, but none of us know how long it's going to last This team needs to add a reliever. David Robertson just put an audition on the board. He's one of many guys they may target. And we'll do a podcast in a couple of days during the All-Star break to kind of really focus in on names, on contracts, on stats of the guys they need to target. Plus, we'll take a look at the history of the Mets at the trade deadline. So we'll have some fun with that. But David Robertson in this series did a great job of auditioning. The other thing was, let's not forget, they couldn't freaking hit in the last three games of this series. They couldn't hit. All right, they were lucky they won the two games in this doubleheader, and obviously the finale of this series, the trend continued. They couldn't buy a freaking hit. Then when they finally get a big hit from Eduardo Escobar, Lindor's thrown out by a mile. They obviously need to add a DH. J.D. Davis and Dom Smith have done nothing, nothing to prove otherwise. So for the next two weeks, that's what we're going to be focused on as Mets fans. The absolute need. And there are so many freaking names. I'm telling you, I've made a master list, Pete, of names of DHs and relievers that this team has to target. And you're going to want to download that podcast. I guess we'll record it Wednesday, Pete. Does that sound like a good day to do it? Wednesday, something like that. It sounds
1: like a great day. I'll be ready. I'm pumped. Let it go. we got nothing to
0: do. Bro, nothing to do. And I'm telling you right now, I want everybody to bring a notepad when they listen to that podcast. We are going to go through so many freaking names, your head's going to explode. But that's the point. There are a lot of targets because – and this is not me complimenting the DH. I just want to make this clear. I'm making an observation. Because their need is for a DH, not a shortstop, not a third baseman, not a left fielder, a DH, any freaking human being who's a bat makes sense for the New York Mets. See what I'm saying? The position doesn't matter. It's absolutely true. And I don't want to hear, well, they could really use a first baseman, right? No, 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 they could use a goddamn bat. I don't give a crap what position the guy plays. So literally, you go through, and I've done this, every team that may trade at the deadline, look for any of their bats, any of their freaking bats. I don't care what position they play. Why the hell does it matter? Look, it's nice to play a position so that you have versatility. I get that over a guy like Nelson Cruz. I understand that. But they need a bat. It's obvious. Sandy Alderson knows it's obvious. Hoff knows it's obvious. I know it's obvious.
1: Uh, question, because I want to have a list of my own, too. You're, uh, is it? How realistic are these moves? You're saying these are the most, these are the top guys, you know, maybe have some control. Look at you with the muscles over there. <laughs> I see you flexing. What are you flexing about? I'm just getting twitchy. I've been stuck in the same room for four days. <laughs> doing All sorts of weird stuff. You're lucky we're not going live with these videos yet, because otherwise that'd be the first thing being posted. As, as Evans flexing his nice, paley white skin. But here's the deal. I need to know because I want to bring my list too. I want a list of guys that I could bring to the table. Are you going more realistic or just like, I like because there's guys that one year contracts, guys that have a couple years of arbitration available that you might have to give up a bunch of prospects for bring in and maybe make them a long term piece. What are you what What are you focusing it on? No,
0: I, I'm focusing it on somewhat realistic because there are ob- obviously going to be. I'll give you a specific example there are going to be guys like Nelson Cruz who you know the Nationals are trading, right? There's just no ifs, ands, and buts about it. But then there are guys where you're like, are the Rockies going to trade C.J. Crone? I could see them trading C.J. Crone, but I'm not sure if they are. So I think there are two tiers. There are the ones that are absolute locks to be traded. And then there are the ones that, yeah, make sense to be traded. But no, I'm not going to bring up guys who are clearly not going to be traded. I mean, the Red Sox are not going to sell. So I think our dreams of J.D. Martinez have completely gone away. The Braves are not selling a bat to us. So I'm really looking at the more realistic targets, the teams that are out of it. And then, yeah, there's going to be levels of realisticness, if you will. They're going to be the guys you have to trade and then the guys that you could trade in the right deal. So we'll touch on that. But they need a bat. And look, it was refreshing that Sandy Alderson said that to John Heyman and Joel Sherman the other day because even though it's obvious, and you could say, oh, it's not news, we all know it, it's nice to hear the Mets admit that it's obvious. By the way, keep an eye on one other thing. Tomas Nitto is banged up. He didn't play in the finale of this series. Buck Showalter said it's a minor injury. If Tomas Nitto had to miss time and go on the injured list... The New York Mets would literally have to add a catcher to their 40-man roster if they want to continue avoiding calling up Francisco Alvarez. And I know it's not ideal for Francisco Alvarez to be catching this pitching staff on an everyday basis. I think most of us are more obsessed with his bat than the idea of him catching all the time. But if Tomas miss time, and you're already without James McCann, like, what are you going to do? I mean, are you going to call up uh, Brent Main from retirement? Like, you're literally going to have to eventually say all right, we're going to give this kid a chance to catch. Uh, one other thing from the doubleheader. This is a minor thing, but it really pissed me off. So I just want to throw this at Mets fans if you remember this. So it was – hold on a second. Let me find it my scorecard because I wrote this down. This one just kind of bothered me. All right. It's game two of the doubleheader. The New York Mets have runners on second and third and two outs in the top of the second inning in a 0-0 game. Jeff McNeil takes a pitch inside and just quickly runs to first base and says, it hit me. And it did. It barely brushed his shirt. It loads the bases up for Tomas Nitto. And I'm thinking to myself, Jeff, Jeff, there's a YouTube clip I'd love you to look up. Albert Bell was once hit by a pitch, turned around, and refused to go to first base. He said, no, I'm not going to first base. I'm Albert and Bell, and I want to hit Jeff McNeil, to me, is still, pound for pound, the guy you trust the most in a big spot with guys on base. With second and third and two outs, and Tomas Nitto on deck, Jeff, act like it didn't hit you so you could come through with a hit. This freaking annoyed me to no end. And then, of course, Nitto flies out to left field. As this was happening, and I was like formulating a tweet to basically say, Jeff, can you pretend it didn't hit you? Because the Cubs are not going to challenge that it hit you to send you to first base. In fact, David Ross was thinking about it, challenging it the other way. And I was like, challenge it. Please challenge it. I want Jeff McNeil up in a big spot, not Tomas Nitto. But whatever. all right, Whatever. That, that was just a small, small thing that annoyed me. Uh, as far as the finale of this series, look, they couldn't hit again. Drew Smith is untrustworthy. And the Mets lose a game that, you know, kind of like game one and game two of the doubleheader, you never felt great about. The offense never clicked. But the bottom line is this. They won three out of four in this series. They're in first place. It helped out that the Braves lost on Sunday as well. So the Mets didn't lose any ground. And now we can take a nice respite for five days, uh, take a deep breath, and say, hey, this is the second greatest start in the history of this franchise. A couple of other things. Number one, let me get to Juan Soto. I also want to get it into the stat war that I feel is the most, uh, the most, um, let me choose my words carefully because I'm not anti-analytics, I'm anti-war. Uh, why you as Met fans, I don't care how much in analytics you are, I will explain to you why war is so flawed and you won't argue with me. You're going to say, you're right, Evan, I can't argue with that. We'll get to that in a minute.
2: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best the power of their data Wasabi, sabi another boston-based championship team
0: as far as the soto stuff is concerned um the nationals didn't make him this amazing offer i know on the surface the headline is going to be turned down 400 million dollars they offered him less money per year than a handful of players in major league baseball he's 23 years old he knows at free agency at 25 26 he can get a hell of a lot more than that so i'm not stunned by soto turning this down and I'm not acting like, oh, my God, how could he do that? I, I didn't think the offer was that amazing. Number two, I don't believe they're going to trade him before the deadline. I think they're going to start to listen to offers now. I do think they're going to trade Juan Soto. I think this is an off-season kind of trade. So for all of us getting nuts about, oh, my God, Juan Soto's going to be traded at the deadline, uh, you have me on record here. I'd be very, very surprised if he's moved at the trade deadline. Number three, I, and I, w- I got pushback from somebody um, – how do I phrase this? I got pushback from somebody who's very well connected in the Met organization that the Nationals would trade inside the division, mainly because ownership is selling and they don't give a rat's ass. And while I respect that theory, I don't necessarily agree with that theory. I don't believe the Washington Nationals will trade Juan Soto inside the division. We saw how they were about Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer was a rental. This is a guy who's going to be on the next team potentially for the next 10 years. And I I don't buy the ownership theory. I understand it, I respect it. I don't think their attitude is who the hell cares. We'll trade him to the Braves. We'll trade him to the Mets. I don't see it. So look, we can have a Soto discussion. We can break down who are willing to give up. I honestly think it's very, very unrealistic. I really do. I'm not losing sleep over this. I do think if he gets to free agency, it's realistic and that's a different discussion. If Juan Soto, who's represented by Scott Boras, says, I don't care who trades for me, I want to wait till free agency, then we have something to be excited about in two years. And we have a great debate. Do you wait on Juan Soto? Do you sign Aaron Judge? Do you keep your own guys? Do you, you know, all this kind of fun stuff that we touched on a few weeks ago. But if it comes down to can they trade for him, I'm telling you right now, I would be absolutely stupefied and stunned if the New York Mets acquired Juan Soto in a trade. We could talk about it. Am I willing to give up Francisco Alvarez? Look, I'll make this quick and simple. I think Juan Soto is a generational player. I think he's one of the greatest left-hand hitters we've seen since Barry Bonds. I think he's that good. I know he's having an offseason. He's 20-effing-three years old. So there is no prospect, not a one, that would keep me from trading him. For him. Not one.
1: Now, I have a question for you, though. Yes. Uh, if you're trading for him, it, whether it's before the deadline or in the offseason, there has to be a caveat of there needs to be an extension because you're not going to give up the future for two years. Correct? Well,
0: you're. I think because of us. Look, we're having this as discussion as Met fans, not as a Mariner fan or a Padre fan. I think the understanding is you're going to pay him. Even if you don't make that deal in the moment, you're going to take care of him. You're not going to be outbid. So am I willing to trade for him without an extension? I am, as long as Steve Cohen has the willingness of giving him the $500 million that he may get. I don't think the extension is an absolute must because, again, I got a rich-ass owner. We have a rich-ass owner. So I I wouldn't feel the same pressure that maybe a different team would feel to have to get it done ahead of time. But look, this is an all-timer. That's how good I think Juan Soto is as a talent. So I don't think you ever let any kind of prospect stand in your way. And also, Pete, think about what you said. Two years. It's not one year. It's not six weeks. Two years. You're getting two years of one of the best players in all of baseball. So it's not like it's a... I can't call trading for a guy for two years a rental. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not a rental. That's a... I got a guy
1: for two years. No, I understand that. But if you're literally... Whoever, if, if he gets traded either before the deadline or in the offseason, you got to think it's going to be a haul of a century. Like, this is not going oh, yeah. to be like a Herschel Walker type of trade. You know, it's going to be game-changing for the Nationals. You know what I was also thinking, by the way, and maybe
0: this is my NBA brain kind of too much into this, I think it has to be a three-way trade where one team trades all their prospects and takes a current star – Trades that guy to another team for more prospects that's funneled to the Washington Nationals. You see what I'm saying? It's like the idea the Nets have on how they trade Kevin Durant, where it's, hey, one team doesn't have enough to trade for him. So it's going to be, you trade, like, I give you a Met example. Not saying I would do this, I'm just giving you an example. The Mets trade uh, Vientos, Alvarez, Matthew, Allen, Mauricio. That's not enough. Then they've got to trade Pete Alonso to the Cincinnati Reds for their top three prospects, and their top three prospects go to Washington. Again,
1: oh, Juan Soto. Jesus.
0: I'm not saying that I would do that because now you're talking about major leaguers. You're not talking about just lottery tickets. But I do think that that's what the Nationals are going to try to do, and because they have something that's never been traded before. I mean, think about it. Like, what guy at this age, could this good, could we think of that was traded? Oh. So...
1: It's mind boggling. No, I, I know. And that's why we're talking about, too. It's like you're talking about someone who's 23 years old who's had already has a World Series under his belt. He's been in the top, the highest pressure situation of all time, succeeded. And we're talking about him potentially being traded for prospects that may be older than him.
0: <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> all, the whole thing is insane. But I do think, and I, if I'm proven wrong, I'll admit this here, I, I would be absolutely stunned, a, if he's traded inside the division, but more so, I don't think he's getting traded anytime soon. Like I think that's going to be something that happens during the offseason. Now, real quick, do you think Pete Alonzo's having a good year?
1: Oh, he's having a great year, yeah.
0: Oh, he's having a great year. He's having a great year, right?
1: Uh, uh, no doubt, yeah, of course.
0: Okay. Everybody listening right now to Rico Brogna, Pete Alonso's having a good year? He's having a great year? He's having a fine year? Do you know where Pete Alonzo's yeah. ranked in war in 2022? Like, where he's ranked in war? Go ahead.
1: Oh, I I think he's like 30-something, right? Oh, you think he's 30-something? That's cool. Is that where you think he is? I, I think that's where he was at once one point in time. Where, where is he? Tell me. I have him ranked as,
0: uh, like, 103rd. Ugh. I'm not even kidding you. And, like... Here's the thing that just boggles my mind, all right? And I'm, this is not a tirade against analytics, because I've gotten into a lot of certain stats that I probably wouldn't have three, four years ago. But the one stat I can't wrap my head around is something that none of us can measure. It's just kind of written down by baseball reference and fan graphs, and then people repeat it like it's the gospel. I watch Pete Alonso every single day. I think we all do. And while I'm not telling you he's Paul Goldschmidt defensively, and nobody's going to tell you he's the greatest base runner in the world, he's not a bad base runner. And I don't think he's a bad defensive first baseman. Yet the advanced metrics are trying to tell us that Willie Adamas and Merrill Kelly and Scott Barlow, who's a relief pitcher, and Trey Mancini and Jose Trevino all have a better war. And that's that's something I can't get my head around. Like, I I can't get my head around how disrespected Pete Alonso is as a baseball player. Now, I'm not arguing he's the MVP of the league. I'm not trying to tell you he's even top three MVP in this league, though I'm sure many people will, and I respect it. But he gets, every time I look at the WAR stat, because I see it cited by Met fans to explain how good of a year Lindor's having. And that's fine. Lindor is having a good year. He's been very streaky, but he's had a fine year. I get it. Brandon Nimmo, look at his war. Okay, for everyone who wants to cite war for certain guys, are you telling me Pete Alonso's the Mets' seventh best player? Like, are we really buying that? Are we buying that half the rotation has a higher war than Pete Alonso? That Starling Marte, Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Lindor, that basically everybody who has a pulse has a better war than Pete Alonso? So that pisses me off, and I just wanted to get that off my chest. All right? I feel a lot better. As far as DeGrom is concerned, I uh, watched him pitch the other day. Feels so good watching Jake pitch. It looks like we have finally made it. Now, we're all going to sweat out every start he makes and hope everything goes well. I know he's going to have a a side session or uh, a simulated game on Tuesday. At this point, it's the Yankee series. I mean, it it just kind of makes sense that that's where he's going to debut. I doubt it's Sunday night against the Padres because why not give him an extra day after throwing a simulated game I guess they could give him another rehab start at this point. The reason why it's not even worth it anymore is if he's stretched out now to at least those 70 pitches or go five innings, let's go. You got David Peterson, who's been great. It's sad that David Peterson is going to lose a spot in the rotation, assuming that's what they do. I I said this to you before, though. I think David Peterson can be a great weapon out of the bullpen, especially a left-handed reliever, considering they only have one. But you talk about a guy that doesn't deserve to lose his spot in the rotation. It's David Peterson. But as a guy to kind of piggyback Jake after his first start, I say why not? You know what? Throw him against the Yankees. I don't think there's any reason to be afraid. You know, the Yankees are a good baseball team. The Padres are a good baseball team. Throw him against a good baseball team. The fact that 44,000 people are going to be jam-packed in a city field should not make a difference. I'm not scared of it. I'm not pushing him towards it. It's not like George Steinbrenner having Doc Gooden make his Yankee debut in 2000 against the Mets like he needed to do it. It doesn't need to happen this way. But at this point... Why the hell not? Now, we'll do a podcast on Wednesday. We'll get deep into the trade deadline targets. We'll also do a little uh, retrospective on the history of the Mets at the trade deadline. But, Mets fans, here's what I want you to do over the next 48 hours. Remember, you are watching a team that, through 93 games, is off to their second best start in the history of the freaking franchise. Now, I need to take a nap because I've done more talking in the last 45 minutes than I have in the last three days. Craig and I will be together, probably not in the studio for me, because I got COVID, but I will be doing a show with Craig Monday, 2 o'clock on The Fan, and we'll have a Rico posted Wednesday late afternoon. For Pete Hoffman, who you can check out with Tiki and Tierney, I'm Evan Roberts, thank you for listening to the COVID edition of Rico Bronya.